is today. Today? It is Wednesday, my dude. This is gonna be great! <laughs> Good morning, everybody! It is Wednesday, so you know what time it is. Time for Pastor Adam's devotional slash podcast slash thingy, whatever you want to call it. I want to start out with this. This past Sunday, I, I, for me, it was rough. I had a rough Sunday singing and playing guitar. It happened. Probably one of the worst uh, experiences as me leading worship since I became worship pastor. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was it was bad. I can't think of a time where I played and sang worse. This is like the Hall of Fame of bloopers and blunders and and all that. So without further ado, here we go. Lord Jesus. Okay, so my first fail, we're playing the song Fierce. And uh, I played all the all the hard guitar parts, which weren't really that hard, but all the lead lines flawlessly, you know. We I, I do it, it's it's good. So we get all the way to the end of the bridge, which by the way is my favorite part of the song. And uh, there we have a measure of like we're holding an A. Then I come in with the first line of the chorus, like everybody kind of stops. I come in with the first line and then it's followed by a big D power chord. And the whole band comes in at the same time. Well, I start by singing like a hurricane until I notice the hurricane part is the second part of the chorus. The first part starts like a tidal wave. And what you get when my brain starts singing and then seeing the wrong words and trying to fix it at the same time is this. Yep, uh, blue, my favorite part of the song. This is the best part of the song. Not only did I screw up the words, but then I botched that D chord and played some halfway between a D and an E flat, which sounded awful. And I probably couldn't even reproduce that sound if I wanted to. So just like the tidal wave that I was supposed to sing, um, the tidal wave of mediocrity and bad guitar playing followed me through the rest of the worship set. So, <laughs> yeah, there's more. There's more of this. So, next uh, clip I want to show you, um, we get to the song Good, which it's a good song, too. If you don't know Good, something's wrong with you. Uh, but I'm going to play you the lead line from this song on guitar, which I played numerous times throughout. All right, so here's how it's supposed to sound.
See, I nailed it. It's not hard, so you're probably thinking, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, who couldn't? It's easy. Right. So let's up the ante and let me play that while I'm singing. So check this out. Nailed that as well. So it seems like, you know, I got it. Uh, then there's a break in between that first chorus and verse two. It's just doing the same thing, right? I got this. Unbelievable. I literally looked down at my hands as I was playing and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Like I feel, I felt in that moment that, that, um, I didn't know where my fingers should go. Uh, I didn't know how to even play the guitar. What more could I do but laugh? As you see, I'm just like, ugh, idiot, which is what I did, you know? So it was just, it was so dumb. And, um, then we have one more, uh, and this is, I would say, this is not necessarily my fault per se, but, but I'm going to go ahead and take the L on it because, uh, mostly because it's the way it looks, right? Bad optics. Uh, we're at the communion song, Oh Come to the Altar, which for being a song that is, uh, from 2016, that's been wildly popular that all the churches have been playing. So, you know, it's a seven year old song. I've never actually sang that before. I know, it's weird. Weird fun fact for the day. Anyway, after some timing issues starting the song, we made it all the way to the very end of the song. And uh, and I'm holding a B. The piano's playing a little pretty melody, right? And it's just a four measure pause before I go into that last, uh, last two lines. So there's only two lines of the song left. Only two lines. Um, and, 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 and so, I I finished the first couple words. So so here's the thing. We have a pro presenter. I have a confidence monitor. It shows the words that I'm about to sing and on the right side, and then it switches over to the left, right? So as I'm holding that B, there's nothing on that screen. Then all of a sudden, it shows up on the left side where it's up. Now I'm saying So I sing the first couple words, then it disappears. And then the next one comes up and I'm like, now I, I was like, I don't, I'm singing the first. Now I don't know what the, I'm just confused. So then this is how this sounds. Yep, just a, a good way to cap off um, a stellar worship set, don't you think? So there you have it. Bloopers Glore by yours truly. Um, it's frustrating because I'm supposed to be giving God my best. And I gave him uh, the equivalent of hot dog water. 
I said to a few people afterwards, like, I just want to rerun the whole worship set to prove I can do it and obviously give God the, the proper glory. And the only comfort that I have is that scripture says, make a joyful noise. And well, I definitely made lots of noises. And that was a good set. And here's the thing. I know it was bad. I hear it. It's, 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 it's blatant. And everybody's like, oh, no, you did great. That sounded good. No, it, it wasn't. They're so nice to me, right? That I, like, I know that it was bad. I'm telling you, I know that it was bad. And everyone's like, nobody notices. I don't know how you don't notice. But it's just like this. I'm helping coach uh, some 10 and 11-year-olds with uh, Chris Purdue. And we had a game last night. And uh, there was a point in the last couple minutes, the other team like scored six points like that. We kept turning the ball over. It was terrible. And that was right before the half. Half happened. The kids all come in and Chris is like, it's okay. We're going to be all right. Uh, we're still up by five. We're still, we're still going to win by 15. I feel it. Uh, just focus. You know, he's pep talking them and, and all that stuff. We're going to be good. Then I come in and I go, listen, Chris is right. We are going to be okay. However, I'm going to tell you, you guys played like hot garbage. That was terrible. You guys are panicking every time you get the ball. You're not looking up. So I told him what was happening, right? And Chris is like, true. So let's correct those things. So that's fine. If I have a bad worship set, you can say, hey, that was rough. But I know your heart. I know we're going to be good. But that was bad. I know. That's what I'm saying. But they don't do that. They're very nice here. Moving on. Okay, so I mentioned last Wednesday uh, that I flew back to Chicago for a few days. And I talked about this weird phenomenon uh, about people drinking tomato juice uh, on the plane. If you missed last week's uh, podcast, you go ahead, listen to that. It's there. Um, so there's another thing, though, that I wanted to talk about, about that flight, um, specifically the flight home. Okay, so I flew United and the night before flying home, I get a text saying that I could check in for my flight. So I do that and I can see I can look at my uh, seat assignment and then I can choose another one if I want to. Obviously you can upgrade to all this stuff. I ain't going to upgrade. Now for me, I like my preferred seat is the aisle seat. Uh, It goes aisle seat, window, and then obviously the middle is nobody wants the middle. And what did I have when I looked? I had stupid middle seat and it's the worst. Why is it the worst? Because it is. No one wants the middle seat. You're crammed in there. I don't even feel like I'm that big, like broad, but I feel that I'm in a vice grip every time I'm in there. It's like, come on. Everybody thinks that they're entitled to the to the uh, armrest. If I'm in the middle, I'm getting the armrest. I'm just saying it right now. I'm getting the armrest. I've, I got to deal with being in the middle. You can have your left and window. You have your right. Just calm down about the armrest because it's mine now. So there's a battle of power. Anyways, nobody wants the middle seat. So I'm looking uh, to see what other seats are available as I check in. And um, I wouldn't say that the, the plane was completely full. There was, there was a lot of spaces. And then I notice there was a whole row towards the middle. So like my, my middle seat was up toward the front. I moved back to the middle and I see that there's a whole row, entire row, but nobody picked any seat. So I had my choice. And... I decided that's the row I'm going to sit in. You'd assume that I would pick the aisle because, as I've stated earlier, it's 
my preference. But after thinking about it, you know what I decided to pick? The middle seat in that empty row. What? Why would you do that? Why would you pick the middle row? You said you hate the middle seat. Why would you do that to yourself? You fool! Well, what I did was called craftiness. Smart. Maybe even genius. Because here's my thinking. If I'm another person in a similar situation as, as me having to pick a new flight, a new, uh, seat on the flight, and I see someone chose the center, the middle seat in an empty row, uh, that person is going to be a psychopath. Like, they're going to most likely want to talk. They're going to be annoying. They're just going to going to be like, it's going to be a nightmare sitting next to them. So even if the window seat in the aisle is available, they'll probably pick somewhere else. Even if it's a middle seat somewhere else, because no one picks the middle seat with an aisle and a window available. I mean, it's just the cold, hard facts. Well, when I got on board, I watched everyone get on board, sit everywhere around me. And by the time the door shut, I had the entire row to myself. Genius. You got to think past that initial instinct sometimes. You got to get see past how, uh, the now and look to the future. That's what I always say. Look towards the future. I don't always say that, but you know. So in that true story that just happened, when I said I picked the middle seat in that empty row, you might have thought, why did he do that before I explained? Well, that's what we're going to be diving into in this devotional. A simple question of why is it in the Bible? Does it really make any sense? And maybe, hopefully, I can make some sense out of it. Maybe not. But that's the gamble we're going to take. Right? Right. Okay. So we're going to go through the through Mark 14, and that is when Jesus is arrested. So we're going to read it right here. Mark 14, 43 through 50. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him in a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under the guard. Going at once to Jesus, uh, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus? That you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scripture must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Okay, so if we look at this, Jesus has told his followers um, previously what, what was going to happen. He said it a bunch of times. And he said, one of you will betray me. He said, I will die and I will rise again. And everything is just kind of going as Jesus said it would. Uh, Judas comes, kisses him, and Judas is obviously the one who betrays him. He's arrested, and things get a little tense. And it says in verse 47, one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now we know that that uh, that we we know from reading John 18:10 that that person is Simon Peter. So John 18:10 says, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So as I said, things were getting tense. They were escalating. Um, have you ever been in a situation where, where things got tense and, and, and you, you knew something was about to happen? Like you just had a bad feeling. 
Well, this, this was that situation. The tension, the fear, the anger, this crisis that was happening, and, and it was overwhelming. So overwhelming that Peter decided to draw his sword and slice the ear off of the servant. So that was what we'd call an explosive situation. But the amazing thing here was Jesus demonstrated poise and he de-escalated the situation showing he was still in charge. Even though he was about to get arrested, even though he knew it was coming, he was still in charge. And then in verse 48, he says this, am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. So he said, I've been with, I've been here for many days. I've been teaching. I've been doing things. Nobody came with swords and clubs to get me any other time. But now all of a sudden you are like, this seems a little weird. Do you think that, do you, what do you think I'm doing? Right. But then he says, but the scripture must be fulfilled. And then in verse 50, it said, then everyone deserted him and fled. And I I think that word deserted him, those words, pretty powerful. Scripture teaches us, um, and it gives us an idea of the feeling in the air. And like I said, fear, anger, crisis. We We get a lot from that big bunch of scripture that we read. But that's not where Mark finishes chapter 14. He actually has two more verses. Now, obviously, we know Mark didn't write where chapters end and where verses go, and, and he didn't number them. That that came way later when we're trying to, whoever's in charge of writing Bibles, they do all that. So there, are, but we know that there's two verses left in chapter 14 that are pretty universally, I don't know, like skipped or overlooked or not talked about anything like that. But here they are. So Mark 14, 51 through 52, it says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Now that's, that's an odd verse, right? I mean, a man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus and the guards tried to seize him, just like Jesus, but he fled naked. That's weird for many reasons. But what about what about that story of me picking the center aisle? This is what I'm thinking of when I read this. What about me picking the center aisle in the flight, right? Um, undercover genius, right? But what if this dude was about to go out and so he gets ready to go out and his wife is like, where are you, where are you going? He goes, um, I hear there's something going on with Jesus. I'm going to go check that out. And the, and the She's like, you're going out with just this linen garment and naked underneath? And he's like, yeah, trust me, it's going to be a good idea. She's like, that seems like a terror. You don't just go out naked with this one thing. First of all, you can see through linen pretty pretty easily. And he's like, yeah, but... And he's like, but what if something something pops off? What if something goes down and uh, and, and they're going to try to get me? I'm, I'm just going to slip this garment out. Nobody wants to go tackle a naked man. They're not going to try to get me. And she's like, you're not wrong about that. Just like you see uh, the the weird naked streakers on football games and soccer matches where they run around. Like, none of the security really wants to go tackle them. They're like, ugh, naked guy. I'm just saying. That could be part of it. Probably not. But uh, in these two verses, one of the most asked questions about the verse is, who is this naked man? 
What's his identity? Why is he here? And guess what? We really don't know. Now, I've read so many commentaries on, on these two verses over the last couple days, and there are many theories of who this guy is. Many theologians think it's Mark himself, the one who's writing, the author of this, that it's him. Others think it could be the angel that was outside the tomb. Some say it could be the rich young ruler. Others say it could be Joseph because he's the one who wrapped Jesus in the linen garment uh, after his death. So it has kind of a symbolic connection. But the truth is, we don't know who all these, uh, we don't know any, like they're all guesses. Who knows? Being that they are guesses, I don't feel comfortable saying I believe any of these are him. Could be, but I don't know. I don't know who it is and why is there. So then you might think, why bother diving into these verses? We got the message from the other 50 verses in this chapter. Well, what do we do with these two then? I mean, do we just say it's just a meaningless, it's just meaningless in the context? No, I mean, we shouldn't. Let's try to see the significance uh, it can and have in its immediate context by how it relates to what's going on. And I think there's some pretty profound and significant stuff going on in this verse. Because, you see, if, if every verse in the Bible is inspired by God, every verse is important, right? So if these two verses were written in the Bible, they are significant. We should be able to learn from them. Uh, I mean, shouldn't we? I think so. And then these verses are tough and they require study. And that requires us asking questions. And these are things that I find most Christians aren't doing on a regular basis. Now, if you're just reading scripture every day, you're doing, you're doing good because I know a lot of people who don't do that. But if you're doing some Bible study where you're getting deep in there, figuring things out, that's a whole other animal, which is amazing. So these two verses, I see a lot of symbolism. The author is very intentional in describing the situation. He could have said, a young man was there and seized by the guards, but he got away. He could have done that. But he didn't. Instead, he specifically said the man was wearing linen. He said he was following Jesus. He was seized and he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So the symbolism I see are in these three sets of words. So the first set would be linen garment. The man was wearing linen. What do we know about linen in the Bible? Linen was what Jesus' body was wrapped in for burial. The linen burial garment was left behind in the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead. And that's all Mary and Mary Magdalene found in the tomb when they saw the stone was rolled away. So when this man ran naked, he left his linen garment behind. So I just feel like that's a symbol of what was to come, that when they go to the empty tomb, they just find the linen garment. The second one would be following Jesus. This man was following Jesus. That could mean he was a disciple. It could mean he was a new convert. It could mean he was just someone who was simply interested in what Jesus was saying or teaching. But he was there at the time Jesus was arrested. And Jesus had some disciples there with him. They were not only following physically as he was in the garden, but also spiritually. So we have to know that there is people there following Jesus. 
following him all the way to the garden. So that's a big piece of symbolism there. And the last one, last set of words is fled naked. So they tried to seize him when he fled, when they seized Jesus. So they, they're obviously, number one is they got to go get Jesus, but they also, they wanted to get this man as well. And the soldiers tried to arrest all of Jesus's disciples, but they all ran away because in verse 50, it says, then everyone deserted him and fled. So once everyone had flandered and banded Jesus, I'm sure the disciples were feeling uh, that overwhelming fear and nakedness of being without their leader. I mean, they've been stripped of their security. They must have felt like, what do we do? Where do we go? What's going to happen? I imagine how you would feel if you woke up in the middle of a busy street completely naked. You don't know how you got there. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know where you're going to go. You don't know what's going to happen. Now, that scenario of you being naked in the middle of the street uh, would be uncomfortable, embarrassing, maybe even humiliating, but it wouldn't be a life or death scenario like the disciples would have been in. So it seems to me these two verses and, and the seemingly surprising appearance of this young man in Mark, his presence there was not meaningless and it's not insignificant. We don't need to resort to speculation about his identity or the symbolism of the linen or the nakedness to see why he's mentioned. He is a concrete, vivid example of the terror they all felt and the completeness in which the scriptures were fulfilled that they would all flee. Isn't that like, this is just, we're just, we learn all, everything we need to know about the arrest of Jesus. And these two verses kind of amplify the feeling, the atmosphere, the, the terror, the hope, like that they just don't know what's going to happen. Like put yourself in that situation. Those two lines to me, build everything and tell you what everybody was feeling. Now, see how cool a little Bible study can be? You get more context. You get a better peek into what it was like when Jesus was arrested. You get, you get the, you get to, now, if you just read those lines without doing any Bible study, you're like, that's weird. That's a weird couple verses, and then you move on. But if you do that study, and I, and I, encourage you if you find some some verses like that where you're like okay is this just a throwaway uh verse there is no throwaway verses so if you see something and you're like that doesn't really mean much do the deep dive study on that look up commentaries try to figure out what's going on ask the questions what does this mean to me how can i learn from this it's good stuff that's what i'm saying and i'm also giving you permission to uh, use my airplane life hack to get a better seat on an upcoming flight. I call it undercover genius. Well, that's about all my time for today. Hopefully you got something out of this. Hopefully I made some sense. You know, often sometimes I'll, uh, while editing the, the, the podcast, I'm like, I don't know what I'm saying. But hopefully... Hopefully that doesn't happen as much as it happens in my head. You know what I'm saying. Anyways, uh, please share this. Uh, send it to someone you love, you hate, you don't even know. Um, 
someone to share the gospel with. All right, you have a great week. See you next time. Thank you.